Hello, I'm Tom Moan, and today I'm beginning an old and yet continuing adventure. In 1968, my family and I returned to Tulsa, where I became the general manager of KORUFM and Oral Roberts, radio announcer. At that time, from 1968 until March of 71, I had a daily program entitled Good Morning Brother Pilgrim. And now after 50 years, I'm resurrecting it with a new title, Good Morning Fellow Pilgrim. And a pilgrim is a person who's on a journey, and in this case, a journey of the kingdom of God on earth as Jesus prayed. So I hope you'll join me as we look into the past, the present, and the future. This is the Good Morning Fellow Pilgrim podcast with Tom Moan for March 20th, 2020. Hello and good morning, fellow pilgrims on the road of the kingdom of God. May the Holy Spirit breathe upon the scripture as we read from it today. May the Holy Spirit just fill you to overflowing so that out of your innermost being will flow rivers of living water. Amen and amen. Years ago, I had the opportunity of writing a book, I've mentioned it several times, entitled Good Morning, Brother Pilgrim. And it's a picture of sort of our journey of following the Lord. And we published it back in 2014. And uh, if any of you would ever like a copy, all you have to do is get on Amazon or write Moan Ministries, and uh, a, a copy can be sent you. But in that book I wrote about what I discovered concerning the Nicolaitan heresy. Now I'm going to continue with some things that, that Eugene Peterson said about it. But I wanted to read from my book about the Nicolaitan heresy. We find this in the book of Revelation. And I'm going to just read a paragraph or two of what I wrote in 2014. The reason being is I am hearing today from many people that they believe that somehow, biblically and prophetically, we are coming to the end of the church age. And that definition is kind of fuzzy. I'm not sure just what they mean or don't mean. But before the Lord can return, there's got to be the preaching of the gospel of the kingdom that I've talked about on so many occasions. And it's beginning. And it really began in about 1890 or so through Andrew Marion and E. Stanley Jones and many others now are preaching the gospel of the kingdom, the rule and the reign of God on earth. Well, I, in, when I was writing the book, I came across this portion in the book of Revelations about the Nicolaitan teaching that was hated by the Lord in two of the seven churches, Ephesus and Pergamum. Well, as I pondered just what the heresy or teaching was and why the Lord hated it so much, I started on a journey through all of my reference material. The subject was on my mind for weeks as I continued my research. Most of the commentators supposed that the teaching may have come from Nicholas, who was one of the seven in Acts 6, who were appointed to serve the Greek and Jewish widows. But as I studied and researched the subject, I just grew more dissatisfied with the commentaries and the research. For instance, the name Nicolaitans, according to the early church fathers, Ignatius, Irenaeus, Clement of Alexander, Tertullian, Hippolytus, refers to those who, while professing themselves to be Christians, lived licentiously. But as I pondered all the research, I grew even more troubled. 
At about the same time in the early 80s, I was reading some of E. Stanley Jones' writings, and he was talking about the uh, sixth chapter of the book of Acts. Well, again, I came across it, and he said something that was so interesting. He said, in Acts 6, the apostles felt that they should not serve tables, and that others of sound reputation and spirit should be appointed so that they could center on prayer and ministry of the word. Jones postulated that this was a grievous error that caused a problem that even day today infects and affects the church and true church life, that being the division between the clergy and the laity that inevitably creates first and second class Christians. Jones felt strongly that this section in Acts 6 created problems the church has never recovered from. I could not help but be moved by his insight, and it led me to further study. And I finally stumbled, and I think that's a better way of saying it, across the Greek word Nicolation in an old concordance. And I read that the word came from two other words, Nikeo, meaning to conquer, and Laos, meaning the people or laity. There is no ancient authority for a sect of the Nicolaitans from which the word was derived. And all of a sudden, I had a sense of great personal relief. I believed that Jesus' sacrifice on the cross had done away with all distinctions between people. An example is seen in Matthew 23, 8, where Jesus says, Don't be called rabbi, for one is your teacher, and you're all brothers. Then he goes on to say, If you really want to be a leader, be the servant of all. I realized that Jesus was eliminating forever the divided clergy-lay distinction and creating an equal brotherhood. Eugene Peterson's translation of Matthew 23.8 in the message puts it this way, Don't let people do that to you, put you on a pedestal like that. You all have a single teacher and you are all classmates. Don't set up people as experts over your life, letting them tell you what to do. And for the first time, I realized why God seemed to hate the Nicolaitan heresy. Well, when I wrote that in the book, I'd written a letter to Eugene Peterson asking him more about that because I'd read his translation, and he very kindly sent me a letter in... Uh, October of 2009, and this is several years before I ever thought of publishing a book, and he wrote this, and I want to read the letter to you, and uh, it's again about the Nicolaitan heresy. Dear Tom, how refreshing and confirming to get your letter of appreciation on the laity myth. Your insight into the etymology of Nicolaitan is brilliant. I'd never seen or thought of that before but it seems so appropriate, thanks. And then he said this, The response of the clergy to your suggestion at the conference is, I think, pretty common, even when it is not quite as out in the open as the ones who aggressively insist on holding to their authority. This gets repeated. I had told him I'd been to a conference where I'd been invited to preach, 
and I preached on the Nicolaitan heresy. And after I'd preached on it, I had several pastors come up and say, you can't do that. That'll destroy the church. We've got to have the clergy and we've got to have the laity. And I was trying to say that God did away with that. We weren't to conquer or control it. And then uh, Eugene goes on to write, there's a lack of enthusiasm today on the part of the laity. Many of them embrace the laity myth as much as the clergy. It gives them a free pass to just let the pastors do it. Isn't that great? But there is, I think, a resurgence of initiative among the laity. Unfortunately, it is also often accompanied by considerable anti-institutionalism and individualism, which is no better. I can recall years and years ago, Derek Prince saying, he, although he wasn't Roman Catholic, he appreciated that there were at least some dictations that controlled the Pope, where he said in his Pentecostals, he said, some of them just were like they were God themselves and nobody could say anything against them. They controlled it all. He once, uh, Eugene went on to write, in the final book of my five-volume Spirituality Theology is an attempt to recover a biblical grounding in church, a non-hierarchical church. And I use Ephesians as my text. He says, sometimes I feel that all my life I've been both a pastor and a writer on the margins. Not that I don't get a lot of appreciation. But American church culture basically seems to me to be getting worse and worse by the day. And then there is our days when I get a letter like yours and think that maybe there are more of us out there than I thought who've not bowed the knee to Baal. I just so appreciated that back in 2009. I was going through some difficult experiences in church life, and I was so appreciative to the way that Eugene Peterson wrote. And uh, I just am so grateful today that we have the message available. Now I want to go, and I just want to end this podcast reading from his introduction to the book of Psalms, and then I want to read two simple psalms. I just really think it's important that we understand, again, his translation. Here's what he writes in the introduction to the book of Psalms. Most Christians, for most of the Christian centuries, have learned to pray by praying the Psalms. The Hebrews, with several centuries of a head start on us in matters of prayer and worship, provided us with this prayer book that gives us a language adequate for responding to the God who speaks to us. The stimulus to paraphrase the Psalms into a contemporary idiom comes from my lifetime work as a pastor. As a pastor, I was charged with, among other things, teaching people to pray, helping them to give voice to the entire experience of being human and to do it both honestly and thoroughly. I found that it was not as easy as I expected. Getting started is easy enough. The impulse to pray is deep at the very center of our created being, and so practically anything will do to get us started. Help and thanks are our basic prayers, but honesty and thoroughness don't quite come 
as spontaneously. So he went on to say that as he used the Psalms and he translated them, it was to put them in a language contemporaneous. And I would like to read the first couple of Psalms from the message, Eugene Peterson's translation. Psalm 1. How well God must like you. You don't hang out at Sin Saloon. You don't slink along Dead End Road. You don't go to Smart Mouth College. Instead, you thrill to God's Word. You chew on Scripture day and night. You're a tree replanted in Eden, bearing fresh fruit every month, never dropping a leaf, always in blossom. You're not at all like the wicked, who are mere wind-blown dust, without defense in court, unfit company for innocent people. God charts the road you take. The road they take is skid row. Psalm 1 from the message. I just love that. I want to read in closing today the second psalm from the message. Why the big noise, nations? Why the mean plots, peoples? Earth leaders push for position. Demagogues and delegates meet for summit talks. The God deniers the Messiah defiers. Let's get free of God, cast loose from Messiah. Heaven-throne God breaks out laughing. At first he's amused at their presumption. Then he gets good and angry. Furiously, he shuts them up. Don't you know there's a king in Zion? A coronation banquet is spread for him on the holy summit. Let me tell you what God said next. He said, you're my son, and today is your birthday. What do you want? Name it. Nations as a present, continents as a prize. You command them all to dance for you, or throw them out with tomorrow's trash. So, rebel kings, use your heads. Upstart judges, learn your lesson. Worship God in adoring embrace. Celebrate in trembling awe. Kiss Messiah. Your very lives are in danger, you know. His anger is about to explode. But if you make a run for God, you won't regret it. Psalm 1 and Psalm 2 from the message. I just so appreciate the readings in the New Testament from the Psalms. I want to close today. I was going to close with that second psalm, but I'm going to read instead from the first chapter of Romans in closing today. I'm going to pick it up in uh, the first chapter I said of Romans, and I'm going to start in verse 18. God's angry displeasure erupts as acts of human mistrust and wrongdoing and lying accumulate as people try to put a shroud over truth. But the basic reality of God is plain enough. Open your eyes and there it is. By taking a long and thoughtful look at what God has created, 
People have always been able to see what their eyes as such can't see. Eternal power, for instance, and the mystery of his divine being. So nobody has a good excuse. What happened was this. People knew God perfectly well. But when they didn't treat him like God, refusing to worship him, they trivialized trivialized themselves into silliness and confusion so that there was neither sense nor direction left in their lives. They pretended to know it all, but were illiterate regarding life. They traded the glory of God who holds the world in his hands for cheap figurines you can buy at any roadside stand. So God said, in effect, if that's what you want, that's what you get. And it wasn't long before they were living in a pig pen, smeared with filth, filthy inside and out, and all because they traded the true God for a false God and worshipped the God they made instead of the God who made them. The God we bless, the God who blesses us, oh yes. Boy, if anything seems to describe our culture today, mocking and ridiculing God, we hear it in government, we see it in colleges and universities, we see it in schools. When I mentioned to my grandchildren that we used to, in in grammar school, open every morning with the Lord's Prayer or even the principal of our schools praying over the intercom, every morning there was always a devotion. And they look at me like, Boy, you really lived in a strange time, Grandpa. But our country, our nation, has turned its back on God, and we are seeing the fruit of it in our culture today. And we see it from government to law to education to family. I just pray that there'll be a confession and repentance of our sin against God and casting Him out of our national and personal and familial lives. I pray that there be a return to God in Jesus' name. May God bless you today. Amen and amen. This podcast is available for free download in iTunes and at moanministriesbookstore.com. Sarah Rahm's album, Days of Rain, is available on iTunes and most streaming platforms.